This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Apollo, all by my listen today. We've been away for a few days here. Want to get something out to you. I know there's a lot going on in the baseball world with the Houston Astros. If you're tuning in for that take, if you're looking for our opinions on it right now, I'm waiting for the weekend to get all the guys together so we can talk about it. I did want to get our tour around the league up and going for you, so let's go there, okay? First things first, this is our interview our preview the Baltimore Orioles to get in with about Dylan Bundy we talk about what's happened to the Orioles franchise and all kinds of goodies here we go with Josh Soroka from Seth from section 336 about the Baltimore Orioles check it out it's good stuff All right, folks, I'm here with Josh Shiroka from the section 336 podcast founder owner of Birdland Sports how you doing man Hey, I am doing well. I uh, feel like I should congratulate you guys on the uh, being the uh, having a Cy Young oh. now on your staff because we know whenever bad pitchers leave the Orioles, they become Cy Youngs <laughs> the next year. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I have some questions for you. But I was thinking last time you and I talked, <laughs> yeah, what I say, the Orioles went out there and took three for four. Okay, three of four yeah. from the Angels. And you were so down on it. And I'm telling you, hey, hey, listen, listen. The Angels have been, you know, they're, they've been playing down to some folks. And you're like, no, no, no. You got this. And then they went out there and didn't just beat the Angels. They knocked them all on the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, some Orioles magic happens once in a while. Uh, don't worry about it this year. This year's, we <laughs> might set records for the worst team to ever go onto a baseball field. Well, I mean, so. Miracle Mets. 10 years uh, four, 40 and 120. I mean, I mean, yeah. No, the Orioles are going to be bad. Just let me know when you want me to get into the numbers and why they're going to be so bad. Last time we talked, you, I, I gave you a very simple question, and you just didn't have really an answer for me because it's the Orioles. And the question was, does this team have a direction now? What are they doing? Where are they going? And you were perplexed because you didn't really have an answer to give. Now, I, having well, – lived out there for a while when I was in the service, I understood that feeling because I saw them floundering under Angelos back then. So what's the real deal? Have you been able, been able to kind of figure anything out yet about what their plan is or, or not? Right. What did we, we talked probably six months ago, right? Uh, Something like that. Five or so. Yeah. So, all right. So yes, the Orioles have a plan. It is Michael Elias. It is whatever Michael Elias wants. This is Michael Elias's team. It is uh, trust Elias, in Elias we trust, walk with Elias, whatever they want to do. The only thing this team cares about right now is Mike Elias, our GM, who has now been on the, on the Orioles for a year. And it is so much his team that he is tearing down anything that resembles the Orioles of the past and uh, just signing minor leaguers and whatever they're doing now and this year doesn't matter because it's all about building the farm system to have Elias's the uh, the future Baltimore Elias's win a World Series, and that's the actual plan as you see it now. 
<laughs> yeah, the the plan is the plan is to get young, to to tank in 2020, so we get another first rounder. We've got Adley Rushman now, who's the future savior of the Baltimore Orioles. We will in a few months get the number two pick overall, and then probably next year get the number one pick overall, and we will have those three guys that will be ready in 2023 for the Orioles to finally, uh, 40 years after the last World Series they were in, win another. In other words, you're looking more towards the Astros model of rebuilding. They just wreck it. They yeah. Start off from the ground up and basically suck for a few years, and everybody knows they're going to suck, and everybody, because the club was open about them sucking, everybody has kind of accepted it and supported it. Yeah, and and it sucks. And big thing, you know, it's 2020. Everyone's looking back at the decade. And to look at the magic that the Orioles had early in this decade with uh, 2012 to 2016 and to see, like, the team like rebuild and become awesome and get to the point that like all you can do is trash the team completely and start over is really, really sad. And it's really disappointing and it doesn't make any sense that a team can be that good. And then suddenly that bad that you don't have anything even in the tank left that you got to rebuild your farm system. But yeah, that's, where Orioles ownership has gone to is whatever Michael Elias wants, he gets. So uh, we have a payroll for 2020 of $59 million right now for the entire major league team. And to put that into perspective, Chris Davis has 21 of that million and Alex Cobb has 14 of that million. Two guys, more than half the payroll for the entire season uh, as of right now. So yeah, that's the future. The future plan is not this year, not next year. Then let's start talking about winning baseball again. It's all Michael Elias. And how is the fan base responding to that? Uh, the fan base is um, really accepting of it. I mean, we had this weird thing where the Nationals are, whatever, 20 miles down the road, and they just won the World Series. So all those bandwagon Oriole fans, it made it really easy for them to move on over to become Nets fans this year. But the long-term guys, like – People like me who have been waiting their entire life to see the Orioles in the World Series, we feel like we don't really have a choice at this time. Like we just have to accept this and move on and laugh about how bad this year is going to be. Um, enjoy the memories of the early parts of the decade with the Machado teams and the Buck Showalter teams, and just yeah, we're going to wait. And we have this. Thankfully. We've got this really flashy quarterback playing uh, football right now for us to distract <laughs> from everything going on on the baseball field. Yeah, I'm, I would be. I think that the Ravens are going to win it all. So yeah, I and that's that's a huge distraction from what the baseball team is <laughs> doing. If you can bring Lamar Jackson out to throw out the first pitch on like opening day, you'll have a sellout. You're good. Well, my question would then be. How is the fan base overall in terms of dealing with this team and its problems? Because, I, again, when I lived out there, it was a struggle. This is 2005, okay-ish, to keep watching this team lose and lose and lose. And I remember fans being frustrated that they didn't really have a direction. They seemed to be getting somewhere, then they wouldn't. Uh, it was kind of a, a almost a malaise, you know, yeah. <laughs> in terms of how fans view the team. Is it better now that, that at least the fans know, listen, this we might as well go all in. They're, in, they're going all on a rebuild or they have a direction now. Can we at least support that, go out the ballpark and enjoy at least losing baseball, but we know what's coming? Yeah, uh, it's totally easier when there's a direction, when there's an end game. Uh, we were just talking about on Section 336 this week that we're going to start selling uh, Orioles 22. 23 World Series championship shirts because we have a goal like everyone's talking about in three, four years. That's when the Orioles are going to be great. So we have this goal. Elias is talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. It's way better than like not knowing what's actually going on and not knowing like why did we sign no one this offseason? Like the fact that we've signed no one and our salary sucks and our team sucks. Everyone sits back and goes, okay, we understand. We've seen this in Houston. We, we ex expected this when Elias was signed. So the fan base is, is totally behind it. I kind of think they're a little bit 
too much behind celebrating Elias and praising Elias when he hasn't done anything in Baltimore yet. Like they had a Mike Elias t-shirt night at the stadium at the end of the season. (laughs) And I hate the idea of celebrating a GM who's done nothing in this team except for tear it down. And you can bring, I could go work for the Orioles and tear the team down. That's the easy part. When you look so, I mean, do I guess that's a problem. That's a backup. The problem I'm going to have with that strategy is the Orioles aren't the only team doing this. The Tigers are in the middle of a rebuild, almost the same strategy. Other ones are in the same place. So what makes them so confident they're going to be different and basically be Houston Astros version two? See, now you're talking realistically, and this is the conversations we have on Section 336. It's the conversation the diehard fans have. Uh, I was just trying to give you the general perspective that everyone's celebrating and excited, but there's a big concern of when Michael Elias did that on the Astros, he was the first one. This analytics stuff was new. He, I mean, I guess cheating and banging on trash cans was also pretty new, so he had that <laughs> in his pocket too. But uh, yeah, everyone's, everyone's doing analytics now. The Orioles are late to all of this, so we may have brought the guy who started it all and got known for it, but we brought him because... We're late, and we're super late to it. And we had an analytics department last year that, that uh, they kept referring to as an analytic department, and we then found out this offseason that that consisted of one person. Is it more than one person now? So it's a bit – yeah, now it's more than one person. That's how we found out that it was one person is because that person left, and then they had to build an actual department, and there's multiple people now. So um, it is all about a hope for a future – and, and, and I hope that this is going to work because it kind of has to work because the Orioles don't have any other options at this point. Wow. Okay, so let's look at this year's team so far in terms of, you know, their future, and which is notably glim, um, gloomy. Sorry. Is there anything good to look for? Like, is there anything positive right now that has you at least excited to see, at least in terms of individuals? All right. Uh, individuals. Yeah. John means John means was a surprise last year. Guy came kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, all-star level level pitcher. He caught off a little bit in the second half, but he was still in that, uh, rookie of the year conversation at the end of the season. So John means is an exciting guy because he's a young guy, that guy that's going to hopefully if all goes well, continues to pitch well and be hitting his prime in this 2023 when the Orioles are going to be good again. Uh, and then you got Trey Mancini, who's kind of the same thing. He could be this older veteran when the Orioles are good. So if he can continue and uh, continue to grow and be this like leadership guy, that's exciting too. Um, outside of that, um, I don't know. We had this Hanser Alberto guy that kind of came out of nowhere last year. And uh, I mean, he was fun. Well, I don't know if he can put a year together like he did last year. I don't really know how he fits on a baseball team, but he does, and that's been fun. Um, and then there's always the, there's always the question that we will discuss a few more times before opening day, which is Chris Davis, the guy who's getting twenty one million this year, and will he ever learn how to hit the ball again? Because we loved Chris Davis in those 20, uh, 12, 2013, 2014 seasons. We loved him. He could do no wrong. He just crushed that ball. And it's been really ugly the past few years with Chris Davis. So there's always hope and a glimmer of that old Chris Davis coming back. I mean, he hasn't hit above 220 since 2015. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I know. I know it's bad. And, and again, it's kind of like the whole state of the Orioles. It's so bad. It has to get better, right? It can't get worse. But you never know. I would really wonder if, in this case, I mean, he's never really been a great hitter. 286 in terms of hitting the baseball. Yeah. 2013, that hit. was his best average year. And yeah, I remember him just right. slapping baseballs but, out left and right on us. And and that's what you need is he, he, he was crushing the ball and then hitting home runs at like one a night, it seemed like. And, he, and w- with that also comes a lot of walks. And he would, and a lot of like, deep fly balls that would move guys around the base paths. So he's never been a high average guy, but he wasn't a high, he wasn't as horrible and a high strikeout guy as he is now. 
I mean, maybe it's just me, but I have some serious doubts about him being able to do anything. Oh yeah, why, totally. Everyone does. Why are the why are the the Orioles holding on to him? Twenty one million dollars a year guaranteed until through twenty twenty two. And there's nothing it's, they can do to no. get him to say, "Hey, okay, well, I'll, I'm gonna go no. now." No, would you? Would you quit a job no, just no, because no, you get it for for and give up sixty five million dollars? And it's even more than that because of all the deferred money that we're going to be paying them for the next ten years. Well, that's where I was going to go. Like, you know, hey, dude, if you uh, roll out, you'll do the Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, we yeah. already did the Bobby Bonilla. But you already Bobby Bonilla was part of this from the plan from the beginning. <laughs> so, so I mean, we yeah, had the same the situation thing, with with Albert Pujols, by the way. Not as bad yeah, in terms of average numbers. Not as, not as bad, but yeah, the money is there, and and sure, <laughs> Chris Davis did this off season donate a ton of money to John Hopkins Children's Hospital, like the largest donation ever. And that's the best thing he could do because at least like he's still making an impact in the community and, and using that, even though it would be easy for him to walk away and say, hey, the fans hate me. I'm just not going to do anything here. He's still helping the community. So as fans, we still love Chris Davis, even though he's got uh, – third of our salary this year. I'm just looking at this going 179, 168, 215, 221, and then 262, yeah. then 196. Yeah. I'm going, oh my gosh. Right. But the magic of that 21 million is it's this year, it's next year, it's the year after, and then 2023, that year I keep talking about, it's gone. He's not signed anymore. It's off the books. And that means in 2023, we get all these rookies up. We get all these minor league players. We all aim to 2023 because in 2023, this team suddenly has money to go out and spend money to fill holes. That's what's going to make 2023 magical is we have this time to clear up where Alex Cobb comes off the payroll, Chris Davis comes off the payroll, and all these young guys are on rookie contracts and hopefully good, apparently good, supposed to be good, and then we just buy some veterans. And that's why 2023 is where things get fun in Baltimore. So that's why I was thinking maybe that they're off a year. I'm thinking borderline lines of 2024 then because you need, you need 2023 to break in and get all these guys gelled together before you really well, yeah, you know, I think, become that power team. Yeah, yeah. And I, well, I think 2022 is 2021, 2022 is when you start to bring up those guys uh, Adley Rushman comes up the 2021, whoever we, we signed this, this year is 2022. Uh, you know, we get all that up to there. And then when Chris Davis clears, we also know where we need to spend the money because we've got guys up and we can see who actually made the transition to the majors. 2023 is then that huge year. All right. So last question here with the angels, you know, basically improving hitting pitching, we will find out. We expect to be in the mix a little bit. I'm not sure if this year's the year, more likely next year. One of the things the Angels did this year was go out there and get Dylan Bundy. And uh, yeah. former number one pick, didn't live up to, to expectations out there, had a major injury. What's your assessment of him? And I guess what is his peak right? What, what is he able to do max right now, in your opinion, under, say, a guy like Mickey Callaway, who's an excellent pitching coach? I think the sky's the limit for Dylan Bundy. That Dylan Bundy came in, and you got to understand, Dylan Bundy's been with the Orioles since 2012. He joined the major league team. He joined the major league team like immediately after signing, uh, signing to the Orioles. He came right up in into the bullpen, and he was brought up as this star that's going to be this like ace on our rotation. And then he got hurt, and then he got hurt again. And then he got hurt on rehab. And then he finally came up and he could never, he'd have this amazing like first half of the season and then it'd go down. And I always think the Orioles do not know how to handle pitching because we've seen it time and time again where pitchers leave and they pitch a whole lot better after they leave the Orioles. Now, most of the time that's in, they move to the National League, like Jake Arrieta, he moved to the Cubs, but he did win a Cy Young. 
Um, and then he went to the Phillies and did well. And I do believe it's easier to pitch in the National League. But there's also something to be said about the Orioles have never developed a pitcher since Mike Mussina. Mike Mussina was the last good Oriole, great Orioles pitcher. Um, and that does say something about the organization. And I'm excited to see what guys, when I know the Orioles are going to do really bad, I'm excited to see what happens with Kevin Galsman in the Giants, to see what happens with Dylan Bundy in the Angels. And these guys that were supposed to be our number one and number two pitchers that never clicked in Baltimore, I bet they click in other places. And especially Dylan Bundy. I think it's really exciting to see how he's going to do for you guys. What we've seen thus far from the fan base is a lot of criticism. You know, they're going to get basically a bottom end rotation guy. He's not the same guy that was that he was when he came up. And my argument has been listen, he hasn't had a good defense behind him. They he probably has not had good pitch, you know, good, you know, coaching behind him either. And let's also be honest, Camden Yards is more of a hitting ballpark. So you have those three factors. You go into the Angels team, which is basically put Rendon on the corner next to the best filling uh, filling shortstop in the league. The right hand of the you know first base and beside the of the infield is pretty good too. With one of the best pitching coaches in the league, the ballpark is much more neutral than Kim and Yards is. And all of a sudden, a guy who's a bulldog who go out there and pitch harder for you and he, I th- who had stuff at this at one point before tweak a couple of things mechanically, and all of a sudden, you might have something here. Totally. I totally agree. Pitchers do worse when they come to Camden Yards. It's a hitter's front park. In fact, I was reading, uh, before we started recording tonight, I was reading an article about asking people their opinion on uh, what type of improvements they could do at Camden Yards. And there was this huge discussion about, is there any way we can adjust our fences? Because it's such a hitter's park, and it's clear because every time we sign a pitcher, his stats get worse. And it's not that cannot be 100% uh, pitching coaching. I mean, part of it's coaching. It's got to be. But part of it is also right field is really short. And, and we love right field. We love Utah Street in the warehouse, but it's short. And especially when we're in the age of power hitters and stuff and launch angles, when you can get that ball up, you're going to get it over that short fence, even though it's a little higher. But Dylan Bundy is a guy who, yeah, he pitched. I mean, his average is 467 uh, ERA for his lifetime. But that doesn't speak to what Dylan Bundy is. And you'd have to see, like, when he's on, he is lights out. The problem is getting him, getting him to be consistent and consistently pitch on. Um, he only got a seven wins last year, eight the year before. But before that, he had 13 and 10, which is 2016, 2017, which is pretty huge for the Orioles. And again, he's, I, I joke, we put him on our all decade team because he's been with the organization like for the entire decade in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from 2012, he made two game appearances and then he didn't pitch again until 2016. That's a, that's a big deal. And and that's why the, that's why you can't give up on Dylan Bundy and you can't slot him. If you slot him as a fifth starter, that's awesome for your team because he's going to surprise you and he's going to be really good and thrive and not look like your standard number five guy who's just filling a hole to to get through the rotation. The Angels obviously felt pretty good about him willing to make that trade, sending four prospects over. I know you don't think the highest number on there was a number 15 prospect, but just given the fact that the Angels give up pitching at all, they don't have much pitching in their system, so they have four for for him. And I'm just waiting to see how this pans out, but I think he's in the right situation to succeed. Yeah. A very good pitching coach in a, a ballpark that's more friendly to him, a good defense behind him, I think will be pleasantly surprised. And we haven't even talked about the fact that he is only 27 years old. That's that's huge how young he is, and uh, yeah, in that hole, I'm just I just pulled up his stats, and then when we talk about that hitter friendly park, uh, he gave up 29 home runs this year, and 41 home runs the year before. Camden Yards has a lot to do with that home run number. Well, hopefully, folks who are listening to the show feel a little bit better um, about him about the sign. So, can you let folks know where to find you, find your work? 
And I'm sure we'll talk again this season, especially when you're feeling down and depressed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, right. When you want, yeah, if you have a bad week with the Angels, just tune into an Orioles game and you'll feel better this year. You guys have, <laughs> you guys got Bundy, which I'm excited about. You got, uh, uh, what's his name? Your DH pitcher, Joey. Oh, Otani. Yeah. Is he going to pitch this year for you? Looks like he is. That's exciting. That's something exciting to watch for. And of course, Mike Trout is Mike. Yep. Mike Trout reminds me of when Cal Ripken was in Baltimore. Like you would go to the games just to see that one player. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. And you guys got a lot to cheer for. But yeah, check out stuff. If you want to learn anything about the Orioles, check out birdlandsports.com. It's my little company. To it, It's the home of my podcast that I do. Section 336 is the Oriole-focused one. And it's also my chance to like help out all the other Baltimore sports podcasts. So I host a bunch of them uh, as far as like you can go there and learn about like I think there's 10 different podcasts up there made by like Baltimore Oriole fans or Baltimore sports fans, Maryland Terps fans, Ravens fans, stuff like that. And you can learn all about them right there and check out the shows there. So check out birdlandsports.com. You got it. All right, man. We'll talk in season. Thanks again. Have a great one. See ya. And there you go. That is why I'm actually okay with Dylan Bundy for now. I have a lot of faith in Mickey Cowway, not because of anything he's going to do with the Angels ahead of time, because actually his track record shows he's an outstanding pitching coach. It's a great position, a great chance for Dylan Bundy to make some changes. And I'm optimistic that he'll be better than people anticipate. All right. So before we move on, I want to let you know that we are available anywhere podcasts can be found. And we still have contests going right now on Apple Music. Now, listen, I promise I will go in and I would read all these different reviews that are coming in. I will. I'm going to save them for the weekend so all the other guys can comment as well. So just please let me save it for one more weekend so I can get all these guys in here to listen to your comments and comment on them as well. The contest right now is for opening day tickets. Yes, we got them. So opening day tickets against the Astros. Yeah, I know, the Astros. All you got to do. Write a five-star review over on Apple Music. Send us a screenshot of that five-star review after you submit it to our email address at TalkingHalos at gmail.com or you can send it to us on Twitter at TalkingHalos or even on our Facebook page. And that way we can see who you are and credit you, enter you in the contest. And once we get to 100 five-star reviews, we'll go ahead and one of you will be picked for the tickets. Okay, There are two tickets for opening night. So you and date. Or you and your son or daughter, whoever you want to take it, okay? Your best friend. Opening night, it's coming soon. It's sooner than you believe. All right, so again, check it out. That's over on Apple Music. Folks, by the way, our podcast has grown dramatically, much faster than I anticipated over the last nine months. Ask your support. We thank you for your support. We appreciate it. And with all that in mind, check out this Man, I got to tell you, check out this interview with Neil Solons over for the Rays. He's their pregame and postgame guy for the Rays. He's got a lot of information for us, and it's well worth the listen. Check it out. Here it is, Neil Solons. It's part two of our series on the tour around the league. Here we go. All right, folks, I am here with, with Neil Solons. He is the pregame, postgame host for Rays Baseball. Neil, how you doing? Good, Derek. Thanks for having me on again. Well, we're glad to have you. I have a ton of questions for you because not only do the Rays have this great organization with some really good baseball coming out of it, but right after we talked last year, this big news story broke about the Rays possibly basically sharing with Tampa Bay and with Montreal. And it blew so many people out of the water. Now we're hearing the deal is dead. Can you explain a little bit of what really happened? Why was this even a problem or an issue? And what are the solutions for the future? Well, I mean, I, I, first, I, I don't know that the deal is dead uh, in, in any regard. Um, you know, I think, I think the thought process was pretty clear that, you know, to compete in the toughest division in baseball and to compete against the Yankees and Red Sox, um, you know, I think anyone who follows the game knows that um, there are a lot of challenges, um, and I think from a Tampa Bay perspective, I think ownership was looking at a way to um, 
be able to create the best long-term success for baseball in Tampa Bay. You know, they've been at it, you know, really for well over a decade now, uh, you know, the search and process for a new stadium and, um, you know, the product on the field has been terrific. And I think the thought process was, was that, you know, perhaps if there were 40 games in this market and 40 games in another, um, that they would be able to maximize revenues, both from a TV perspective, from a radio perspective, and even maybe from a ticket sales perspective, if you're asking the market to handle 40 games instead of 80, because, for instance, hockey's been very successful um, in, in Tampa Bay with the Lightning in terms of attendance at a per-game basis when you don't have as many games. So I think the thought was, if you could also, you know, in both cases, have a stadium outside um, in you know, the Tampa Bay market, you'd be there in the spring, you'd be there in the summer in in Montreal, and you combine the best of both worlds. Uh, the stadiums cost a lot, you know, less money. You might really be able to do, in essence, you know, the cost of, instead of a, a dome stadium, it may cost just as much to do two outdoor um, open-air stadiums um, in different markets and maximize revenues and give you a chance to really increase your overall payroll and give you a chance to, you know, be as good as possible for years to come. I think that probably was a lot of the thought process. You know, when when I think you, you referred to the deal being dead, what the the lease for for people who don't know, the lease for the Rays is through the twenty twenty seven season. So uh, the Rays can't ostensibly are not allowed to do um, you know such a sharing process until the twenty twenty eight season now, which you know they have said they're going to continue to explore. And look at obviously, you know, they think it's you know it's it's a different way of doing things. But if you look at the way the Rays have done their baseball operations, they've done it differently and they've done it successfully. So, you know, why wouldn't a baseball model um, that's different from a business perspective work if the baseball you know model has been different? Well, yeah, I was referring to the reports from the Montreal Gazette, from Tampa Bay Tribune, and other Washington Post that said it was dead back on December fourth, and. But yeah, really, it's kind of sounds like it's yeah, paralyzed. So, so yeah, to, to 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 explain that, so the 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 mayor the the lease agreement doesn't allow the Rays to pursue this before 2028 without permission. So the lease on the stadium prevents them from um, exploring this for let's say if they want to start this in 2024 or 2025, they wouldn't be able to do so without the without the the way the lease is written so they can explore for 28 um which is what they've said you know along um if you look at the you know the statements that preceded it was dead for the you know to for to be able to do it let's say five years out or six mm-hmm. years out or something like that it's just a longer i think it's a longer term process it doesn't mean it will happen it doesn't mean it won't happen but it's certainly not a uh, i think a foregone um you know thought that it's it, I, I still think it's in play for sure a question about the the marketability of the club. You really kind of set me straight last time we talked about how this, the, just the location of the stadium really makes things harder for the Rays. Is there an alternative solution to get a stadium built closer into Tampa, or is it really kind of where they're stuck where they are now for you know ten years down the road? Well, in I mean the the options that they looked at. For you know when they when they went through a recent process was on the other side of the bat in Bourset, and um, you know I, I don't think I, I would think that certainly all options would be on the table if you're looking for a 2028 solution in terms. But if it's a part-time stadium, um, you know the the location may be less of an issue if you're looking at 40 games versus 80 games. Um, at the same time, again. Central, you know, a central location may be, may still allow you to maximize your, you know, your opportunities. And, you know, I'll let smarter people than myself figure that out. But over the course of the last, you know, several times where they've looked into this, certainly most of the data has said that the other side of the bay has been, you know, um, you know, was what, what was what was explored. So. Looking at the actual team now, last year, 96 and 66, finishing second in the AL East. How does the team look coming in this year? This is an organization that just finds a way to do things. I have nothing but respect for the way Tampa Bay does things. With what they're able well, to do, I mean, with the money they have, how, how are they doing now? 
Well, I mean, they're doing it really in in several areas. I mean, they've gone from 68 to 80 to 90 to the 96 ones you mentioned because they've, you know, for me, they've done it in three buckets. They've drafted well, they've traded well, and they've done well in the international market. And I think for a team like the Rays to be successful over the long haul, they have to have, you know, players coming from those three buckets and being smart when they sign free agents. And I think the Charlie Morton signing was, you know, obviously proved to be maybe even a better signing than they anticipated. Um, you know, um, this offseason, they've gone out and signed Yoshi Susugo from, from Japan. And I think they have high expectations on that end. And they also have the number, you know, regardless of, you know, what system ranking you're following, most believe it's either the first or second best horn system in the game. And that allows a constant funnel of players to come through. And I think when you have that, it, it gives you the best chance for long-term success. Now, the Yankees position themselves very well with Garrett Cole. The Red Sox won't stay down forever. The Orioles are completely rebuilding. Toronto seems to be up on the up and up. What right now do you think the Rays have to do in the immediate future to stay on pace here to compete in the AL East and maybe even beat up the Yankees? Well, you know, I think the three things that I mentioned, they need to continue to draft well, sign well, and trade well. Um, you know, they have to they have to stay within themselves and, and be disciplined. And I think that they've, by and large, they've done that. Um, I think they've been really smart about the deals that they've made and maybe even the deals that they haven't made. Um, you know, I think beyond that, I think the, the greatest challenge probably in the big picture and the way to maintain is to be healthy. Um, you know, I think what they accomplished last year, you know, was probably all the more remarkable. They had records for number of players used with 57, pitchers used with 33, and they had 24 different players on the injured list at one point in time. That's basically a full roster. I mean, mm-hmm. there were only three players all year that were active for the entire season. Um, so to be able to uh, weather that storm and still win 96 games, I think probably speaks to the talent, the depth, the ability of the front office, the coaching staff, and the cohesiveness of the organization. So, I mean, you know, I think there's still a lot of ingredients um, I also think there's still a lot of off-season left, and I wouldn't be surprised if they make some additions between now and then, um, at least between now and the start of spring training, to try and better the ball club even more and you know, be able to, to you know, hopefully find a way to catch the Yankees. Well, they did pull off a trade here back in December. Hunter Renfro, Xavier Edwards, and played with name later from the pod race for Tommy Pham and uh, Jake Cronworth. Uh, how do you assess this trade? What make What about it makes the raise better well you know in in the short term that individual trade you know it's hard to say that the deal makes them immediately better i think a lot of that trade was made because you know the race have to keep an eye on the present and the future and xavier edwards is a guy they believe who's going to be a dynamic player and probably in in short order you know this year hunter renfro gives them um you know some capabilities in terms of his defense in terms of his power hitting in terms of his ability to hit left-handed pitching, but I think will be a huge benefit to the team. You know, I think the fact that, you know, moving a Tommy Sam, you know, I kind of looked at it as, well, they traded Tommy, but then they went out and signed Yoshi Tsutsuko. Would they have signed Yoshi without the trade of Tommy Sam? Because there is, you know, basically the differential in salary for this year is the difference between Renfro's salary and Pham's salary in essence. So, you can argue that, in essence, for this year, they got Satsugo and and uh, and and Renfro, um, you know, for for uh, for Tommy. Tommy's a, an important loss, um, but I think there are a lot of guys who are going to grow this year and are capable of making up for it. And, you know, I think certainly this team is always going to be built on pitching and defense. Um, they were a top five pitching team last year. They were second in baseball in runs allowed fewest runs allowed next to only the Dodgers and I think they've not moved a single pitcher this offseason and I think probably the pitching is going to be and defense is going to be the strength next year again. Now just hopping back to Yoshi what is this kind of report on him what made him so desirable for the race go out there and get? Uh, You know I think a number of things Um, you know I think they felt that A you know the skill set they're very Few position players who've really adapted extremely well. I mean, 
Shohei Otani with the Angels. Your organization is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you've got Ichiro and Matsui. More more pitchers have probably adapted well to the game in the states than the position players. But I think they felt that his skill set, his mindset, um, there are a lot of things that they really like. Um, you know, this is a guy who, for the last handful of years after the season went over, it was over in Japan, would spend a month in the United States training because his goal was eventually to come to play Major League Baseball. And I think, you know, he was a captain on his team. He's known as having a pretty good sense of humor, um, you know, beyond the fact that I think he can really hit, um, you know, and can be what the Rays believe is a middle-of-the-order guy. Um, you know, how he'll adapt to American pitching is hard to say. Um, but I do think they believe he, he's got a chance to be an impact bat at some point this year. And looking at your rotation, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glassnell, Blake Snell, Ryan Yarborough, um, Brent McKay is what I'm seeing here so far. How does this rotation look to you entering the season next year? Do you think there could be any changes to that? Or is it set? Well, I mean, I would think Yanni Chirinos is, is, would probably be you know in that group, too. Um, you know, there's, I think the good thing is they also have built some depth. I mean, Jalen Beeks pitched a hundred innings in the big leagues last year, Trevor Richards, they acquired from the Marlins. Um, so I think that they have some, Brent Honeywell is a guy who was one of the top prospects in the game before missing a couple of years with Tommy John. Um, you know, last year, I think, you know, when I mentioned injuries, you know, they had three starting pitchers who missed good chunks of the season, glass now, now, um, and also Yanni Chirinos. In fact, at one point, they were missing all three, mm-hmm. um, yet still kind of were able to get to the finish line with 96 wins. Now, part of that was, you know, the expanded rosters in September certainly helped, but part of it was their pitching depth. And, you know, if you look at what they did last year, the only pitcher who threw more than 141 innings uh, was Charlie Morton. Um, it's very rare to be able to do that and be able to win 96 games. Um, so I, I think that... You know, I think most of those guys look at it as a group effort. It would be great if if Glasnow and Snell and Morton, between the three of them, end up making 90 starts next year. Um, this has a chance to, you know, be a division contender for sure because um, that gives them, you know, a lot of chances to win, um, you know, because those guys are going to generally going to give you an opportunity to win, you know, every time they get the ball. And I don't want to consider, you know, Chirinos and Yarbrough slouches by any stretch of the imagination because they both grew tremendously last year. They both continue to grow. Um, they give, you know, the Rays different you know, opponents, different looks. Um, and I think they're continuing to mature as pitchers and people. The What I'm really curious about here is you just, you know, kind of mentioned all the growth here you've seen from these players and, and where you expect them to go. I remember last year, Tampa Bay really had some issues at times getting runs. A lot of it because it was because of the depth. And forty, the 40-man roster you mentioned was, an event, um, was advantageous to them. This year, you don't get that. And so is that something that could potentially hurting them come September? Or do you think this roster is much more settled now that can, can, can deal with potential issues? Well, I mean, the reason that they had to use the roster the way they did. And really, it was only in September because the rules for other months were, you know, the way they were. And even this year, you're going. To, we don't know truly what the rules are, other than it's held to 28. We don't know if that means you can have 40 guys and you have to declare your 28. Whether you have to, you know, each series by series declare the 28 eligible. How that's going to be worked because I, I, that that still hasn't even been announced. So it's really hard to say. Um, but I, I think the ability to use your whole 40-man roster, that doesn't change. Um, you know, in fact, I think that this year there are benefits in the fact that you can have 26 guys at one time on your big league roster versus 25 for the whole season. You know, that's going to allow, you know, if I would assume that most teams are going to carry 13 pitchers. I don't know what the limits will be, whether it will be 14 or, or 13 or whatever it will be, but I would think most teams will carry 13. Mm-hmm. Um, because it'll give them different length and different opportunities, and that allows you to, you know, maybe carry an extra a guy who can go once through the order every three or four or five days. Um, you know, instead of being a starter, he can pitch three innings. You know, uh, you know, thirty times, thirty-five times, and all of a sudden you have a hundred-inning guy 
um, who's pitching out of your bullpen, um, which is kind of old school, new school. So I'm kind of curious how the Rays and other teams are going to use that. I, I think, you know, the rules are changing, but I, I think it's still hard to say how they're going to impact the game. It's really interesting to me. Um, and I ask these questions really because the Angels are not in that same boat. The, the Angels are a team that will generally be in the top 10, top 11 payroll. They're up in the payroll this year dramatically. They, you know, then I, I talk with you, and the Rays, their payroll is going to be under $100 million most years, under 85 in some years. And just understanding how other teams do these things to compete. And so I'm very fascinated with the idea of, you know, with everything that Tampa Bay is doing right now, because it's outside the norms in a lot of ways. As you head into this year, though, can they compete with the Yankees overall? Do you think even with the money disparity, with all the different um, changes the Yankees made in terms of pitching staff and so on and so forth, Garrett Cole going there, do the, the Rays have the ability to knock the Yankees off the perch? Yeah, certainly it's challenging. I mean, but I would say that any year, you know, beating the Yankees and the Red Sox in this division is always going to be challenging, but they've done it before. Mm -hmm. They did it, you know, they won the division in 08, they won the division in 10. There's no reason that they can't win the division again. Um, You know, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to health, um, and also you're relying, you know, what the Rays have to do um, is often rely on young players. Um, And if their young players stay healthy and continue to grow, why not? Um, you know, I, I think that winning breeds winning. And the last two years, not only have the Rays won 90 and 96 games, but they've had the highest winning percentage in minor league baseball each of the last two years with relatively young clubs at each level. And I think because of that, there's, um, you know, there, there's that thought process of winning breeds winning. And I think the players come to the big leagues maybe not knowing how to win at the major league level, but expecting to win. And, and I do think that that's a, a mentality um, that can benefit a young player uh, because they're used to that thought process. They're used to how do we go about finding a way to win on a daily basis. Um, and I think getting a taste last year of the playoffs for the first time since 2013, you know, I think could be a benefit. A lot of things have to go right. There's no question. But I do think they're probably going to make additions between now and spring training, um, probably on the position player side. Um, and I think the, by and large, the, the bulk of their pitching staff is going to remain intact. Um, you know, we haven't even touched on the bullpen, which I thought for most of last year was really, really good. Well, this brings my last question, though. And that's Joe Madden. What can you tell us about Joe as a manager and what he did down there and what to expect from him this year? At least what you think you can expect from him this year. Well, I mean... You know, I think he's going to, um, you know, I'm sure he'll do a really good job. I mean, he's, I mean, first and foremost, he's a really good person. And, and I think, um, you know, I think it's easy to get people on board when you are good at building relationships. I think that's why Kevin Cash has been good here. It's why uh, Joe was good here. It's why he was good in Chicago. It's why he'll do a good job with the Angels. Uh, you know, eventually it does come down to talent. Um, and I think that the Angels have done a really good job at collecting a, a terrific job of, you know, some of the best position players in the game. I mean, between Trout and Rendon and, and, and the, you know, additional pieces they have around, you know, they're going to be able to score runs. Um, you know, I think ultimately to win a championship, you need to have good pitching. I think that's what the Washington Nationals showed last year um, with Scherzer and Strasburg and company um, and, and, and Corbin and, and the like. Is, is that, you know, they had slightly better pitching ultimately in a short series and over the long haul. And, um, you know, I think that allows you to win. And I think for the Angels, the, the greatest challenge is going to be, and they've, they certainly have made a tremendous effort to get pitching, is, you know, will they have enough pitching in that, in that division? Um, you know, right now, I, I think, you know, Oakland is a team that's, you know, has has a chance even to catch Houston this year, but I think the division in Texas has improved their pitching a lot. So I think that's going to be a very, very good division with four very solid teams. Um, you know, and I think I think people will take back to your original question. I, I think that 
Joe will bring an exciting brand of baseball where guys play their tails off. They always have under him. Um, and, uh, and I think uh, it'll be a good brand of baseball. Awesome. Neil, thank you again so much for your time. I'm sure we'll try and catch up with you again this season when these two teams play. Can you let folks know where they can find you on, on Twitter? And you're sure. on a podcast now. You're doing a podcast and with Rays Radio. Where can they find all that? Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, I'm easy to find. It's at Neil Solons, uh, all one word, no underscore. Um, and then all of our, you know, during the season, we do a weekly show and we turn it into a podcast. During the off-season, we do several podcasts. They're all on um, on either uh, racebaseball.com uh, slash radio, racebaseball.com slash podcast. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Um, they can look for the This Week in Race Baseball podcast. And, uh, we put out several during the off-season. I think the last one we did was probably uh, you know right before Christmas, and we're going to have uh, several coming up uh, here as we head up to spring training. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. really appreciate it. And, again, I hope to talk again this summer when these two teams go out again. Sounds good. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. So how about that take on Joe Madden? Like I tell you, the Rays are an interesting team to watch. They have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, yet they're expected to compete with the big boys this year. Let's see if they can repeat it. I have my doubts, but that is still a loaded club with lots of talent, and they manage to get the most out of their talent. So let's give it on the Rays. We'll see how they do. All right, guys, that is it for the show. I know it's a shorter show, not a whole lot of commentary. We'll get all the guys' takes on the Astros deal this weekend for our full show, but I want to get something out to you during the week. With all that said, we are looking for sponsors for this season we need sponsors to keep the lights on here especially to keep john happy john's gotta stay happy so you can email us at talkinghillsgmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 657-665-4453 help us keep the lights on all right you can find us anywhere podcast can be fun you can find me Derek c paula at dc paula on twitter you can find me uh find the whole talking halos team at talking halos on Facebook, in the Facebook group, just Google Talking Halos. You can find the group. You can find the page. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you liking the page. And as we get closer and closer to the season, we'll be more active there All right, for the entire team here. This is Derek C. Paul saying, we're out of here. We'll see you this weekend with as much of the crew as possible. We have a lot to cover. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.